Thanks for joining us this week on the Rage for Justice report from Consumer Watchdog. I'm your host, Jamie Court, president of Consumer Watchdog. Today, we're joined by a really special guest. He's an anonymous technologist, and he's been working with us for a couple of years on blowing the whistle on problems with uh, connected cars, cars connected to the internet that can be hacked. And he has a, a wide knowledge of, of software in automobiles. Uh, he is anonymous because if his industry knew he was working with us, he'd probably lose his job. So we're very pleased to have him here today on a, on a day when we have some news. Um, for years, uh, Consumer Watchdog has been criticizing uh, self-driving cars and their failure to actually be ready to be on the road. We've looked hard at um, Tesla in particular, which has deployed something called autopilot technology, which is um, a technology that pretends to be self-driving but really isn't. Uh, and when you turn it on, the car takes over, but you're supposed to watch, you're supposed to keep your hands on the wheel, but there have been a series of deaths. Uh, and after each death, Consumer Watchdog has called for investigation, has called for action. Finally, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has begun an investigation into Tesla's autopilot and the crashes that have resulted from it. So um, now that we have the benefit of our anonymous technologists, uh, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm, I'm doing fine, Jamie. Thank you for having me on again. It's great to see you and hear you anyway. Um, I wanted to ask about this investigation. Is this signaling a change at, cult at the culture at NHTSA uh, to being more proactive uh, than it was over the past many years when we'd asked for this investigation and really hadn't seen any? Well, that's an interesting question, and uh, I can say I certainly hope so. Um, not many people know how, how NHTSA operates. The uh, chief administrator at NHTSA is appointed by the president, by, by the executive branch. Um, and if you look at the history, um, we got a major recall back in 2015 after the Jeep Cherokee hack. Uh, 1.4 million vehicles were recalled by, by NHTSA. And, but since then, uh, NHTSA's response to software issues it's um, it's gotten really quiet for for the next four years after that. There was nothing in 2016 and 2017 when Teslas were publicly hacked by a Chinese hacker group, including um, they they got remote control of the brakes. Um, in 2018, when uh, the hackers revealed that BMWs were vulnerable. And no action by NHTSA after several fatal crashes with these uh, the, the self-driving uh, autopilot technology. I think it's safe to say that NHTSA has let a lot of things slide over the past four years that they could have investigated. Uh, but they have a new administrator now, uh, as of early this year, appointed by the new president. So uh, I, I'd say there's a good chance we're seeing a real change in stance. But, you know, only time will tell. Well, it's interesting because um, the NHTSA General Counsel is a woman named Ann Carlson, who's uh, an old friend of Consumer Watchdog. She worked at UCLA uh, in a clinical law program, and she is, uh, I can tell you, independent-minded, safety-conscious. I don't know what you've heard about the actual administrator of NHTSA uh, or if you had experiences with him. Um, not, not too much, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I hear that uh, he's from uh, – California. He's an expert on environmental regulations. Um, we'll, uh, but we'll have to see how it plays out, how he chooses to run the organization. And he was, I think, the uh, 
deputy director of the Air Resources Board here. So he doesn't have um, the type of ties to the auto industry that the previous administrators have had. Under the Obama administrator, <laughs> the previous administrators at both the Department of Transportation and its uh, went to the uh, auto industry right after we went right through the revolving door. So um, I, we're not going to have that problem with this leadership. So I'm hopeful that they, they will be able to act. But what can NHTSA do with autopilot? Can they recall it? Well, so NHTSA can recall any vehicle when there is evidence of a safety-related defect. Uh, that's, that's what they call it. That's the term they use. Um, now, it doesn't matter if the defect happens to be in software or in the hardware and the mechanics of the vehicle. Uh, it doesn't matter if the defect can be fixed through an over-the-air update. If it's something that affects the safety of the vehicle, then NHTSA has the authority to do a recall. Um, but, you know, the fact is that the auto industry has a decades-long history of uh, striving for safety and reliability. Uh, NHTSA has never before had to deal with something quite like Tesla and autopilot. I mean, we have a, a car company that is selling a product with disclaimers saying that it is beta-quality software um, in, in the fine print, that, that it's experimental. I can't think of another case where the auto industry has ever done that before. So, you know, is it okay to sell a car that's unsafe if you tell the consumer in advance in the fine print that it's unsafe? I, I think the regulators are still trying to figure out if they have the authority to step in in, in, in that circumstance. Well, yeah, I mean, the Tesla's basically turned us into gu guinea pigs. Uh, and we know that the uh, radar and the video quality uh, in the car has accounted for a lot of the injuries because it, it mistakes uh, signs uh, or mistakes the side of a truck for the sky. The, the, it's not a three-dimensional um, uh, ability to, to detect uh, problems the way the self-driving car industry has, has utilized something called LIDAR, which is a combination of of, of radar and laser technology, which is much more expensive. So clearly Tesla didn't want to strive for that. So rather than going about it the way the other self-driving car companies are doing it really slowly, methodical with expensive technology um, and doing it with test drivers in cars, Tesla basically just put, put it in the hands of drivers and say, hey, for 10 grand, we'll turn this on and you can test it for us. And uh, you know, if you die, oh well, you're, you're, you're gonna be part of history. You're, you're, you're a guinea pig. How, 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 do you think autopilot's safe? Well, <laughs> I mean, you won't see me activating autopilot and then taking a nap at the wheel. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, you know, uh, listen, I, I, I don't care what Tesla's marketing says. You know, there, there really is no such thing as a self-driving car that, that you can buy today. Um, creating a self-driving car, regardless of the technology that you're using, is a very, very difficult engineering problem. Um, it, it really comes down, I mean, I mean, the sensors are only part of the story, the, the LiDAR or the, uh, the, the video or the radar, whatever it is they happen to be using. Uh, it really comes down to the, the AI, the artificial intelligence, the, the computers that they have processing this data and trying to figure out what things mean. And uh, frankly, I believe that the ability to drive a car is, and to do it safely is well beyond the capabilities of today's technology. Um, it, it takes real intelligence, human intelligence, 
to deal with unanticipated situations, to deal with things you're not expecting to see. What we call AI today really isn't intelligence, and it just isn't smart enough, and it it won't be for the foreseeable future. And, you know, we have Google admitting that, uh, basically saying it's we've got 99% there, but that other 1% we we need because we can't react to pedestrians, ambulances, the unexpected factors, uh, those things you can't program for, even weather. Um, Do you have a problem with customers being used to test autopilot? Well, I mean, if if Tesla's upfront about what they're doing and why they're doing it, I I guess it's okay if you if you want to be a you know pay, pay thousands of dollars to be a beta tester for software that is going to put your life at risk and you know make you potentially liable for crashing into other people and doing damage, uh, you know I I guess that's your choice. Um, you know, but, but you are taking a huge risk. If you were behind the wheel of the vehicle, you are responsible for everything that vehicle does, whether autopilot is turned on or not. So my bigger problem with Tesla is that their marketing makes wild claims about the car being self-driving, while the fine print says something very different. So Tesla's marketing is effectively misleading consumers into dangerous behavior. You know, we've worked together to show Tesla's vulnerability uh, because of its unsafe connections. When we, we, we hacked into the Tesla connection, the show we could take it over. Uh, is it possible for a hacker to take control over autopilot and therefore steer cars uh, running running it off the road? I mean, the, 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 is, it, is, is autopilot better protected from cyber attacks than the rest of Tesla's system, or is it just as vulnerable? Well, I, I, I wish I could tell you it was safe, but uh, the, the fact is, we don't know, um, and, and we won't know until somebody actually hacks into the car and takes control of it. Um, there is nothing in U.S. law requiring any kind of transparency, uh, allowing us to see what automakers are doing in terms of their cybersecurity processes. Um, now, it's different in Europe and Japan. Uh, they, they're both enacting laws that are requiring car makers to study the cybersecurity of their vehicles and to uh, report on what they find. Uh, but there's no equivalent laws uh, in, in, uh, in the U.S. or even being planned, as far as I know. Um, so, you know, what can we fall back on? Um, one thing I can tell you from uh, lots and lots of experience in the software industry is that where you see vulnerabilities in the past, it's a good indication that you'll see more of them in the future. And that's because the vulnerabilities are the result of the process that's used to develop the software. And if you use a process that isn't careful about introducing vulnerabilities, and most most people aren't careful about introducing vulnerabilities, you wind up with a pattern of, of these, these problems. And you can fix one or two of them, but there are going to be more of them hiding in there. Um, since there have been numerous instances of Teslas getting hacked over the past several years, I can say with near certainty that you're going to continue seeing that pattern. And it's partially because Tesla's whole software is based on this open source software that's completely unsecure. Um, FreeArtros, um, uh, Linux, these are open source softwares, not cr- and, and, and they have lots of bugs, lots of bugs. This is true. They have lots of bugs, and they were never developed 
uh, with the intention of being used in a safety critical system where people's lives are potentially at risk. I mean, we even have uh, Linus Torvalds, who is the creator of Linux, was even quoted, uh, I think it was in the Washington Post several years ago, as uh, saying that it would be a bad idea to try to protect a, a nuclear power plant using Linux. Well, the same thing applies to cars. Um, another company on the hot seat is BlackBerry for failing to disclose vulnerabilities in its QNX software. Um, in June, <laughs> uh, uh, the company BlackBerry uh, talked about integrating QNX software into 195 million vehicles. And BlackBerry called the operating system, quote, key to the future of automotive industry, end quote, because it provides, quote, a safe, reliable, and secure foundation, end quote, for automobile vehicles. BlackBerry uh, basically bragged that QNX was the embedded software of choice for 23 of the 25 vehicle automakers. Now we know it's vulnerable to a hack. What have we learned about this and how dangerous is this? Well, uh, so, you know, that's true that QNX uh, is widely used in the automotive industry. Um, is it safe, reliable, and a secure foundation? Um, that's, that's marketing speaking there. That's, uh, I don't think that reflects reality. Um, you know, as, as I said, if you see a pattern of vulnerabilities, you're likely to see more in the future. Now, that most famous car hack in history, the Jeep Cherokee, in 2015 that I mentioned, uh, you know, hackers were able to get in uh, remotely, uh, shut down the engine, uh, disable the brakes, do a number of things. Uh, resulted in 1.4 million vehicles being recalled in 2015. That hack was also due to a vulnerability in the QNX operating system. So, you know, while I'm disappointed in this news uh, about QNX's vulnerabilities, I can't say I'm surprised. Um, and, you know, when it comes to security, um, no matter what kind of marketing claims the company makes, what matters more is the track record. And, uh, you know, software that's designed for smartphones, and this is coming from BlackBerry, you know, that's, that's not what I want to rely on to keep my car safe and to keep me safe in my car. As consumers, we need to demand better. Finally, Waymo, which is Google's self-driving spinoff, is considered you know, a leader in the technology of self-driving space. They have fewer accidents per mile. They've done, you know, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how many miles their self-driving cars have put on the road. And yet, uh, they recently said um, they're only 99% of the way there. And that next 1% to get to self-driving is going to take a long time. What does that mean? Well, so, you know, Waymo has been working on this for, for a very long time. Uh, they are taking a different tack than, you know, Tesla and some of these other companies in that they're saying, in order to create a self-driving car, we can't do this at a price point that would be appealing to consumers. So we're going to throw all of the latest and greatest technology at it. We're going to have, you know, multiple LiDAR sensors. We're going to have... Uh, the most, you know, very powerful computers processing uh, all of that data and deciding what the car does. And uh, they they have done some remarkable things. Uh, you you can 
there's a city in Arizona where, where you can actually hail one of these things uh, with your smartphone and, and it will take you for a ride. Um, but one interesting thing is, you know, one common place you might want to go in a hailed car would be the airport. They don't go to the airport. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, a little too confusing over there for, for the car to handle. And they acknowledge that. There was one um, story in this article about how uh, there were like three or four cones in the middle of the road and the uh, Waymo taxi in Arizona where they're testing this was sitting there for 14 minutes until the until they sent someone out to move it because it just didn't know what to do. It couldn't move, go around those four cones. It just couldn't understand what those four cones were. And so it didn't do anything. That's right. And this, this gets to what I said before about the what we call artificial intelligence isn't really smart enough to to handle something as complex as driving. Um, in any complex engineering project, you know, the devil is always in the details. Uh, when you're talking about self-driving cars, that last 1% is critical because any failure is going to put people's lives at risk. And getting that last 1% working, that is going to be a monumental challenge. Uh, until then, you're going to have a self-driving car that gets confused by traffic cones, pedestrians, bad weather. Um, as I said, I don't think we have the necessary technology today for AI to solve those problems reliably. And the reliability is really what's key when you're going to sit in that vehicle and, and let it drive you around. So I don't think Waymo can tell you with any honesty when or if they'll ever get that last 1%. Well, I can tell you we're going to be out here uh, monitoring uh, the safety of all these uh, so-called self-driving vehicles, uh, and we're not going to allow them to get on the roads until they're truly safe. And, and it's only because of the help of uh, folks like you who've stood up. Um, we want to thank you, anonymous technologists, for coming out and talking more about this and continuing the work with Consumer Watchdog to reveal uh, the problems with these technologies. You're welcome, Jeannie, and thank you for having me on and helping me get this important message out there. For listeners who want to learn more about our guests, you can go to consumerwatchdog.org. And if you like this show, you might want to read the report, Kill Switch, uh, that this anonymous technologist worked on with us. You can find that at consumerwatchdog.org as well. Make sure to visit our website and subscribe to this show in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts online. This is Jamie Court president of Consumer Watchdog. Thanks for listening.